Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Cyberpunk Lorecast, where we brave scanning the net to find all the deep history and lore of cyberpunk. I'm Toasty, a fixer that's new to Night City with a desire to jump into the details of this gritty setting. And I'm Genesis, an old school media tech with a love of character deep dives. Together, we will bring you the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future. We've got incoming. Let's Delta. Welcome back to another episode of the Cyberpunk Lorecast. I'm your girl Genesis, and with me, as always, is Toasty. Today's episode is brought to you from yet another hospital stay. But don't worry, it's for a good reason this time. So as we stated Last week, even though for some reason, like I straight up, I don't know if this is for anyone else, but like the past week felt like it was like ages long. It does. It feels like it's been a while and I don't know why. Yeah, like I was over here talking because we, I mean, we normally, you and I would normally record this on Thursdays, but I also play uh, a D&D game on Thursdays and we play it on Thursday, but like. I was talking about it because it felt like it'd been a month since we played, and we played the week before. So I was just like, "Like, why does it feel this like this week was so long?" But uh, you know, whatever. It was just a weird one. But like I said last week, we're moving on to Nusa. Um, gonna talk about them, get you all the information we can on them because they're gonna be pretty damn important in the new DLC. <clears throat> So, uh, we are going to pick up right at the tail end of the Gang of Four. So, if you wanna, if you wanna hear about all the stuff that leads up into this, then go listen to that episode. It's episode one forty. So, we talked about the Gang of Four five episodes ago. All right, kick us off. So we start with the beginnings of the free states, which might sound familiar to some people. Local state governments were fed up with the ineffectual and dictator-like actions of the bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., as well as the exposed machinations of the Gang of Four. The first was California, North and later South, then Texas, Oregon, Washington, and then North and South Dakota. These new free states set their own laws, trade arrangements, and no longer sent their collected taxes back to Washington, D.C. All right. So we have formed an alliance between Texas and Oregon. Going strong. We're good. That's that's a new one. Right. Actually, you know what? This is real, even more impressive. California and Texas. Because, you know, that would never happen nowadays. No, nowadays Texas would just become its own thing completely. They would not ally with anybody. And then we would crash and burn because we're all a bunch of fucking idiots. Alright. 
the aftermath of the 2010s. Now, the seceding of the free states led to a massive upsurge in the state's rights as a whole, since most of the United States in the Union needed military force to put down rioting and nomad violence. They simply nationalized the military reserve elements in addition to all guard elements, which were under the local governor's command anyway. These state armies were willing to cooperate with the military government in terms of law enforcement and other military action, so long as the issue concerned the state in question directly. This remains true to the present day. These states of the former United States quickly realized that without the federal government, they were alone. In the wake of the collapse, the states were unable to cope without the massive support that a federal tax base granted them. Without the support, chaos reigned. Almost 30% of citizens were receiving some sort of federal assistance when all federal social programs stopped. Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, welfare, unemployment, social security, subsidies, and price controls. Everything. Chaos. Major chaos. Yep. Wow. All right. Now, the new America in the 2020s. Life in America during martial law was one of the bloodiest periods in human history. Over 100 million Americans died in only 15 years. Americans died from violence, pestilence, or starvation. Most of those deaths could have been avoided had the states cooperated with each other. A country still had sufficient resources to feed itself, though not in the style in which it was accustomed. The individual states, scared and foolishly confident due to their new military strength, hoarded their own resources, and strict border policy and massive tariffs all led to disaster, along with many other problems. Many states were home to large numbers of non-productive citizens at the beginning of the collapse. Florida and New York were two of the worst hit. The welfare system quickly reached a state of attrition. States that instituted stringent controls in the beginning, like California, Texas, Utah, and Nevada, were much more prepared to deal with an extended crisis. But many states simply tried to bury their heads in the sand. Many felt the crisis would end quickly. It did not. Although many other states soon instituted systems similar to the standard NorCal citizen identification process by 1998, it was far too late. By the year 2000, over 150 million were disenfranchised, 75% of which likely died. So kind of Florida, I understand, being a bunch of non-productive citizens, quote, quote, because that is where, honestly, a lot of elderly people go to retire. Because of the climate Mm -hmm. there. I'm kind of surprised by New York. I think just the sheer population. Mm. I mean, New York City is the largest population city in the U.S. Like, then that's just going to... Having a larger population is just going to present a larger population of non-productive. Okay. So. I could see that. Or maybe you know, skills that aren't transferable. Because if I think of like a New Yorker, I'm thinking banker and hedge fund manager and things like that. So if you've got no a new, no banking system, you don't really have marketable skills. Yeah. Okay. 
Makes sense. Now moving on to the aftermath of the fourth corporate war from 2022 to 2045. The United States had lost its superpower status. Functionally, it became a dictatorship run by President Elizabeth Kress, a former president of Militech, and had been so ever since her state of emergency during the Fourth Corporate War. Though local elections were later resumed, there were no national elections, and there wouldn't be any until there was a treaty between the free states and what remained of the new United States. Also, just uh, another uh, thing that I thought of, whatever, like Wall Street. Mm. It's a lot of non-productive citizens right there. (laughs) If the stock market doesn't exist, that's the entire, like, the entire concept of Wall Street. They're all done. So. Yeah. Or, gosh, like super high-end fashion retailers and stuff like that. Everybody needs to go out and get a secondary skill right now. Yeah, right, right now. <laughs> but keep listening to the podcast while you're achieving the secondary skill. Exactly. Skills. They can listen and learn a new skill. Fair enough. The military was now organized into combined operations groups, or COGs, which were task forces combining aircraft, ships, infantry, and armor whose main mission was to deal with threats to the interests of the federal government and to the Boswash Corridor between Boston and Washington. Several of the COGs had broken away and had become mercenary armies operating as well-armed marauding raiders or running their own mini-kingdoms. Now, the new United States in the mid-21st century was similar to what was in the late 19th century. The federal government, based in Washington, D.C., controlled the civilized East Coast. The federal government still consisted of the same three branches, executive, judicial, and legislative, legislative, but it had little to no power past the Mississippi River. And nearly all of its members came from either the East or the Midwest. Also, just to say for the record, I purposely put that is your paragraph. Make the I made the West Coaster say the civilized East Coast. That would be funny. That's right. I'll be wild and rebellious. It's all good. I am chaos. West of the Mississippi River was the Wild West, and running from Seattle to Mexico was an unincorporated West Coast. These territories were, for all intents and purposes, on their own, hiring mercenary armies or local militias to keep the peace. An interlocking system of power blocks and local factions maintained the Night City sprawl. Wild Wild West. On that West Coast was the Pacifica Confederation, a loose union formed by Northern California, British Columbia, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Within their territory were several major U.S. military bases with permanent leases, but which exercised little control over the locals. The Pacifica Confed was busy rebuilding its infrastructure. Night City had been able to survive as a free city-state due to the alliance, functioning as a free trade zone for them. We get part of Canada. Could could they just come up with a different name besides Confederation? I don't know. Yeah... 
It's just Confederation always just carries such negative weight that I like it being Pacifica though. Yeah. No, that's fun. It's other a little confusing because there's a district in Night City called Pacifica, so Maybe that's what they named it after. Well, I assume they named it after the Pacific Ocean, but Well, but Pacific. Or they named Pacifica after the Pacifica Confederation. Is that what yeah. you mean? Okay, never mind. <laughs> my brain with the my brain flipped. Uh, moving on to the Unification War from uh, 2069 to 2070. The, unifi- the Unification War, <laughs> sometimes referred to as the Metal Wars, was an armed conflict between the new United States of America and, a- and the Alliance of Free States. The war started in January 2069 and ended in June 2070. At the end of 2069, the newly elected NUSA president, Rosalind Myers, who we will see in Phantom Liberty, presented a unification program to extend federal rule over the rogue free states under the pretense of strengthening the nation. Most of the independent states opposed unification. Councilman Lucius Rhine, also a familiar name, was worried the conflict would soon reach Night City and through his contacts and connections, pleaded for the Arasaka Corporation to return and protect them from the invasion. At the dawn of an impending invasion of Night City, Arasaka arrived in time with a supercarrier in Coronado Bay, forcing the Nusa and Militech troops to retreat. Mm. I'm also wondering if any part of our government changed and that our terms are longer. Because right now the limit is eight years. And if she was elected in 2069, why wait until 2077 to try and take her out? I don't know. I mean, from what I'm getting is that, like, it's not, like, it's still under the pretense of president to, like, I think kind of create that sense of, like, normalcy. But, like, they're still, they're kind of a dictator. Yeah. Because, like, from what we saw, right, President Elizabeth Cress, who got elected, what, sometimes, sometime, like, right after the Fourth Corporate War, so, like, in the 2020s, and then I don't know what time period she, like, got replaced, but, like, that's way more than two four-year terms, yeah, for sure, if the only other president since then has been Rosalind Myers, so. That is a very valid point. All right. Following Arasaka's intervention, Nusa and the Free States signed a treaty known as the Treaty of Unification in Arvin, South California, and in ending the Unification War. Each time I tried to read that sentence, my brain autocorrected to South Carolina, but no, South California. It's it's a real difficult one. <laughs> The treaty ensured that the free states would remain autonomous, but would have to participate in the new federal government, and hostilities among themselves would have to cease. President Myers agreed to this treaty because she feared Arasaka's increasing involvement would escalate the conflict into one of the new United States could not afford. Both sides claimed victory. 
the free states preserved their independence, and Noosa believed that they were closer than ever to the reunification of America. I'm going to go ahead and take a guess that this is part of the reason why she's in Night City in 2077. Mm. Trying to reunify. That is correct. I don't know. That sounded weird for a second. Reunify. Uh, and then also kind of looking at how much influence Arasaka has in Night City. I guess, it, yeah, if it gives us a new ending, then uh, I'm not sure how that'll play into it. Because the other endings that have established so far either greatly benefit Arasaka or greatly detriment them. So I guess we'll see. Yep. Uh, so moving on to the timeline of 2077. I don't know why I did that voice. Uh, by 2077, relations between Noosa and the Free States had only d- deteriorated following suicide bombings in Noosa bases in New Mexico and Oklahoma. President Myers openly blamed the Republic of Texas, uh, fair enough, uh, which did not sign the treaty and remained independent and ordered retaliatory bombings on airports in the Texan cities of Wellington and El Paso. Both sides expressed a desire to avoid conflict, but bookies put the odds on a border war breaking out in the near future at three to one. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, Texas sucks. Oh, yeah. I, sorry. I got both actually and in cyberpunk, but it makes. I mean, it makes sense. I think. I think, as far as I know, every like post-apocalyptic or semi-post-apocalyptic type setting that is placed in the real world, Texas is always trying to run shit on their own every single time. There's like a Republic of Texas in um, in Fallout. Yep. There was like a Netflix show called Jericho where they had the Republic of Texas as a thing too. Like this, and that was a, that was a nuclear apocalypse scenario too. Like, Texas always be trying to run shit. They don't want to do anything for anyone else. And then the West Coast is always aligned. Like Oregon, Washington, California, we always have some some form of an alliance because it's like we want to absolutely control the entire coastline so that way nobody can get in. Yeah. And then Oregon's revert to their hippie nature but with also their hunting background. So we are peace-loving, flower-growing, you know, we built our own crops and have our potato farms here with our AK-47s in the back. Fair enough. Now, going a little bit further north, within Alaska, corn harvests had dropped by 80% from 2076's yield, and local authorities were obligated to provide nearly 80 million bushels of their crop to Biotechnica. Arasaka was now able to function within Noosa once again. However, its influence still only switched to the Free States and Night City. It was common knowledge that Noosa was Militech's largest customer, and with it, the corporation became very powerful, holding much control over the country. Many Americans were against the idea of Myers being re-elected, in fear of having a country that would only serve the, their suppliers. 
I was just like to state for the record, like for people who are listening that don't believe in global warming, we're heading down this path of being able to, in the future, grow corn in Alaska. We shouldn't yeah. be able to do that. We shouldn't be able to do that, guys. No. It's not a thing. But they can. They're supposed to, they're, Alaska's supposed to provide 80 million bushels of corn. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. So, just keep that in mind. The Western Corporate States, the WSC, revealed a new visa program for people who plan to relocate. They would first need to find a sponsor from among WCS-sponsored companies. Following a 20-year-long employment period within WCS, visa holders could then earn the right to permanent residence, marriage license, and single-child permits. It's like... The one baby laws. Yeah, and also just the the fucking span on that is ridiculous. It was like 20 years? A 20-year immigrant? Like, I mean, I've I've dealt with the immigration process very recently, um, and I thought the amount of time it took us to do this shit was bullshit enough, and this is 20 yeah. That's not that's not citizenship by the way. That's that's residence. Permanent residence. So Yeah, but like my friend went through it too and it only took her like a year and a half maybe from when they started the whole process of him moving from Ireland to here. I guess granted it we did kind of have this going at the height of COVID, and that did put a huge damper on it. So, yeah, fair enough. But still, all right. So, in Detroit, the city had reached new economics heights after decades of decay. The city's numerous landfills, abandoned buildings, and industrial zones had become rich in resources that were highly valued in the economy of the 2070s. Thousands of migrants began relocating to Detroit in search of old technology manufactured from around the turn of the century. This was in spite of the hazardous conditions and gang violence within the city limits. Militech announced its plans for building a new colony on Mars, and the proposed facility would hold residential, scientific, and industrial areas. Farther west, Night City found itself in a precarious position. Though it became an independent city-state after the Unification War, Night City was positioned between North California, the most militarily powerful of the free states, and South California, a staunch supporter of Noosa. Night City's official policy was to try to avoid involvement in the bitter rivalry between the two Californias and ignore Noosa overtures at annexation but the citizenry was gradually becoming polarized between pro-independence and pro-NUSA rhetoric. Craziness. And we're going to see that. Yeah. It's going to be fun, especially brushing up on all this history right before Phantom Liberty comes out. We're going to go in knowing our shit, man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, let's take a little bit of a mid-break right here, and 
and listen to some sponsors of the show, shout out our patrons, and then we'll get right back into it. Welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about the show and not the lore of cyberpunk. Okay, so I think that we have three new patrons to read out because I don't remember reading any of these names. And even though I check like every week, I don't know where these people came from. So if you're old and I haven't read your name out, I apologize. But here are the three that I don't remember saying. THC1138. Stigmus Septimus and Ghost 2501. Thank you, Tombs. Y'all are amazing. Boom. That brings us up to a total of 12 patrons, and a majority of you get to join us at the end of the month for our Patreon chat, uh, which will be next week on Wednesday. And we will be talking everything Phantom Liberty. Uh, We don't have any new reviews to read out this week, and I have published all of the comments on our Spotify. Keep leaving those. They're amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, The most recent one was uh, about Morgan's physical appearance. Uh, Let's see. And if you do leave a review on iTunes where we can read it out, then your DM, your Game Master owes you 10 IP per Jay Gray. We don't make the rules, but Jay literally does, so go cash him in. You can also support the show by going to fanrolldice.com and use the code CPLC Cyberpunk Lore Cast at checkout and stack that code with the Almighty Crit Almighty Crit Games code Almighty C10. That's A L L. M-I-G-H-T-Y-C-1-0. Oh, 20% off of your dice. All right, let's get back into it and talk government and politics. All right. So, uh, there's a couple little uh, things I would like to kind of go over here. Uh, which is the um, political divisions uh, as of 2020 and as of 2077. Um, I guess I'm just going to do the 2020 ones, and Jin can give you the 2077 ones. So, uh, the United States was a federal republic of 51 states in 2020. They lost most of their territories and overseas possessions, but still maintained their hold over Guam, and the Panama Canal Zone. We talked about the Panama Canal Zone with the Central American uh, episode. The 51 U.S. states and other territories uh, listed as they are divided by regional committees. So, we have uh, the Appalachia Committee, which consists of Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. Mountain Mama. Uh, Sorry, I had to... (laughs) We have the Dixie Committee uh, that consists of Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, and South Carolina. Love those chicks. God damn it. 
We have the free states of Alaska, Nevada, Northern California, Southern California, Texas, and Utah. No color commentary to go after that. I can't think of anything. Uh, we have the Great Plains Committee, which consists of Iowa, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. Uh, the Midwest Committee of Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Missouri, Ohio, and Wisconsin. Uh, the Northeast Committee, which consists of Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New Hampshire, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Vermont. So essentially what, like the New England territory, as we mm-hmm. refer to it? Um, there's the Pacific Northwest, which consists of Hawaii, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. It's such a weird thing to see those three and then just toss in Hawaii in there. <laughs> it's a very interesting. Um, and then the West Committee, which is Arizona, Arkansas, Colorado, Kansas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. And then the other territory. Oh, go ahead. No, I was like, especially because I think geographically, Hawaii is closer to California than it is Oregon. Yeah. Uh, and then the other two territories of Guam and the Panama Canal Zone. So. All right. Uh, there are definitely some changes after that. Uh, by 2077, although the new United States hadn't completely subdued the remaining free states. After the Unification War, much of their territory was restructured. It's unknown if by 2077 the U.S. still held or had recovered control over the old territories like Guam or the Panama Canal Zone. So maybe we'll get some answers to that one as well. Now the region of the eastern eastern states, Appalachia, uh, contain Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. The Midwest and Great Plains of Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. The Northeast looks to be about the same of Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New Hampshire, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Vermont. And then in the South, it is Alabama. What? Yeah, no, that's correct. I'm just like, they refer to it as the South, and it's all of these places, and the vibe is just real bad on (laughs) it. Yeah, so the South is Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. The Western states of government-aligned are Southern California and Utah. The free states of the Pacific Northwest are Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. Semi-autonomous free states are... Arizona, Colorado, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Northern California, and Wyoming. Miscellaneous autonomous, autonomous, random ones still out there are the free states of Night City and Texas. And then the... Basically the the self-sufficient ones. Mm -hmm. So the semi-autonomous, I think, uh, rely on Noosa for a little bit of support. But Night City and Texas are completely autonomous, do not 
take any assistance from Nusa. And then Alaska and Hawaii are kind of out there on their own. They're doing their own mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, so, which, you know, probably good for them. Granted, I don't know. I guess I guess Alaska's out there on their own trying to provide 80 million bushels of corn, so, you know. Canada can have it back, you know. It's all good. And then Hawaii's probably the home to all the water nomads. Yeah, probably taking... They've probably taken possession of that, so... Um. Maybe used for like. I mean, I kind of just. I still. I still have that small little hope that Hawaii's still just like Hawaii, just the vacation spot. It'd be great, but who knows? So moving on to uh, the parties and election system, um, you know everyone's favorite part of the government, right? Oh man, they're so good. Um, I actually am not aware of like. Exactly. I don't personally pay too much attention to politics um, IRL, so I'm not entirely sure exactly how many political parties we have. I know the two biggest ones, um, and I know that like there's like the Green Party, but other than that, no, no clue. Um, but in the world of cyberpunk, uh, the United States has operated under a two-party system for most of its history. The largest parties in 2020 are the Republicans and the Democrats. Nothing changed there. Along with them exist over 300 smaller, but no less committed power groups. The two largest of these are the Independent Party and the One World Party. The former was created as a response to dissatisfaction with the two-party system, while the latter was a corporate-backed attempt at creating a free market economy. The concept of voting and elections are relatively new for those of the generations who knew nothing but military rule from 96 to 08. In the 12 years since, the issue of voting became regional, as most major issues have. The free states hold voting and self-determination in high regard, and weekly referendums are not uncommon. Wow. The citizens elect the state assembly, which in then turn elects the governor or president of said state. Terms are generally four years, and the free state council is elected by the governor or presidents of the free states. They also serve a term of four years. Okay. Now, the citizens of the Northwest are almost as well off as the citizens of the free states. In Dixie, voting is usually held at gunpoint, if at all, and many lack basic rights. More poorer regions of America have adequate representation. Wait, so the South? The people in the South are are lacking basic rights? Man, sounds fucking familiar. (laughs) Voting held at gunpoint. That sounds like fun. By 2077, the political landscape of the new United States had changed. The Federalist Party, represented by the hawkish President Rosalind Myers, advocated the full reunification of the country and an end to the free state system. It is unclear what, if any, opposition parties exist 
Night City's Mayor Lucius Rhine and Deputy Mayor Weldon Holt were members of the Devolutionist Party, but it is unknown if this was a national party or a party that was limited to Night City's local politics. All right. We've talked about what happens at home, but let's move on to foreign relations. The new United States had established structure of foreign relations, although many alliances of the pre-collapse world had changed. After 1992, with the collapse of NATO as a result of the Quiet War, Noosa had been had a strained relationship with Western Europe after its peace with the Soviets. Many developed countries embargoed the United States due to the currency manipulations and stock market fraud that triggered the crash of 94. Many embargoes were not lifted until 1998, and by 2020, Noosa still accused the EEC of protective tariffs and unfair trade practices. The new United States maintains strong relations with Japan, China, Korea, and India. Much of America's global influence was lost following the collapse, much of the change due to the loss of a stabilizing economic and political force. Mexico was hit harder by the crash, and Canada was one of the countries least affected. The new United States maintained large trade relations with Canada, owing to rising global temperatures making it an agricultural paradise. Corporations occasionally plant crops in Canadian territory, an issue that slightly strains Noosa-Canada relations. In the Caribbean, the Noosa Virgin Islands had been largely been abandoned and were a haven for piracy. Cuba is essentially owned by corporations, Puerto Rico was rocked by civil war after the collapse, but it somewhat stabilized by 2020. The U.S. held the Panama Canal Zone against ongoing guerrilla action and has had a hands-off approach to the Central American affairs. After they got their asses handed to them twice? <laughs> hmm The new United States had largely retreated from the Pacific Rim, with Japan filling the vacuum of power and supporting the U.S. economy, although tensions remained from the trade wars of the 90s. Guam had maintained its military base, and the new United States signed the Mutual Defense Treaty of 2009 with the rising power of China, as well as participated in military drills with, but not limited to, Japan and Australia. Decent, decent relations with Canada and the. They just did the Pacific Rim. Um, mm-hmm. Not really much else. Yeah. And we have allies. talked about we have talked about all of these countries and where how they got to where they were at in all of our previous episodes. It's like everything's coming all together. It's true. The, the the world does revolve around the United States. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, I think, uh, I mean, it generally does lend to in the cyberpunk universe because Night City is in the United States, and so that's kind of the big focus. Yeah. Uh, that's just what happens when you put your narrative more centered in a location. So, 
they're going to have the most lore. The Internal Revenue Service, everyone's favorite government agency, right? Uh, ceased to exist in 1998 when citizens, furious at their government and the machinations of the Gang of Four, simply refused to pay their taxes. Damn. We'll do that now. <laughs> now, please. Eventually, all of America stopped paying their taxes, and with no money or resources to issue a rebuttal, the IRS was dissolved. The collapse and the deaths of roughly 100 million citizens, along with 25 to 50 million zeros, meant that the tax-paying population in 2000 was roughly 100 to 120 million. As such, the tax structure was destroyed. As of 2020, collecting taxes is the primary responsibility of the states, of which the federal government receives a percentage. The only taxes collected at the federal level are on trade, which is handled by the Commerce Department. Withholding taxes to the government is a crime and is handled by the Justice Department. Okay. I kind of, I see it. Alright. Now, make sure that you are always holding your SIN card, which is your state identification number card, as they are the only method by which the government can keep track of its taxpayers. To retain a SIN, a citizen must pay 10% of their wages as taxes. There are no deductions or reductions in tax. Corporations that support or trade services with states and municipalities may have their employees exempted. Military personnel on active duty are exempt with a 10 to 20% reduction in overall salary. Benefits and perks paid fully by the employee are not considered taxable income. See, this like seems very familiar. <laughs> The corporations associated with the government don't have to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. And also, like, just the military thing. They don't have to pay the taxes if they take a 10 to 20% reduction in salary. Right. I'd rather pay 10% flat tax no matter what, and then instead of a 20% reduction. Yeah, like this. That just doesn't make any fucking sense to me on that one. But oh well. Speaking of the military, despite major losses during the post-collapse period, the new United States Armed Forces, led by the Department of Defense, was still a potent fighting force, and as of 2020, strong enough to outmatch any corporate security force despite being outnumbered by them. Damn. The DoD consists of four branches, the Army Aerospace Force, which wasn't like there a thing about Space Force for like a very short amount of time at some point. Uh, the Navy and the Marines reorganized into combined operational groups in 92 to 93. The military patrols the nation from both internal and external threats. The U.S. Navy is considered the most powerful Navy in the world. The United States Air Force maintains a large force of killer satellites concealed drones, work habitats, and massive battle stations in low Earth orbit. While the EEC is considered America's largest threat, 
the U.S. nuclear arsenal ensures that any EEC mass driver attack from Luna will result in the complete destruction of the European mainland. So this is such a strange concept to me, talking about terms of like warfare on a like orbital level. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, no, satellites and battle stations in space, mass driver attack from Luna, like the moon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have like a giant mega weapon on a they have the Death Star. <laughs> the moon they is the turn, Death Star. The moon is the Death Star, and it is n- armed with nukes large enough to take out all of the European mainland. Although that would you know that would prove That'd be funny. That I think that'd actually be funnier if in Star Wars they were like, they're like, it looks like a moon. It's like that. Well, it is a moon, but it has a giant space laser. Because <laughs> isn't that the line that they're like, that's no moon? And it's like, but mm-hmm. it is a moon actually. It is a moon. It's still a moon. It is. Oh, but I, yeah, yeah. It. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm just laughing at that. No, no, no. I think it's I think it's hilarious because now I'm picturing like the man on the moon with like laser beam sh- point start shooting out of his eyes. Oh god, terrible, terrible, and terrifying. Mm-hmm. Oh. With the end of the Cold War, the large peacetime military that was maintained since World War II was reduced in size and scope owing to its large cost to the economy. The U.S. military disposed of the large units that used to dominate the battlefields of the world and opted for sets of small, fast, rapid deployment units that could act independently. These units were to incorporate their own organic support and, wherever possible, transportation. So... Cyberpunk U.S. military is terrifying, and don't fuck with it. Is mm-hmm. um, as for law enforcement, uh, in the United States, law enforcement is largely organized around local de- police departments, with state police offering broader services. Federal agencies such as the Military Intelligence Criminal Investigations Divisions have replaced the services of the defunct FBI. The Department of Justice oversees the federal court system, among other agencies. Supplementing local police forces are heavily armored corporate police squads, which can be hired and rented to patrol certain areas of a city. The CIA Law Division attempts to keep track of crime on a national scale with retinal scanning and DNA work owing to the fact that states, corporations, and other federal agencies do not typically share information on criminal offenses or SIN numbers, criminals are able to hop state borders to escape justice. Okay, so I don't like the idea that the the name of it is escaping me right now, but there's like a centralized database of like criminals so that way if there's a crime committed here and then a similar crime is committed in a different city then it goes to a database and they'd be like oh that's a possible serial going on Mm -hmm. i kind of 
Right, but this isn't the real world. It's cyberpunk, so if it disappears in cyberpunk, it doesn't actually affect my life, so I'm okay. Typically speaking, right, like, when when criminals take this concept of, like, hopping to another state, who do you send to take care of them? The Mm. FBI, which no longer exists. Yeah, that's that's true. All right. The United States has had an extremely high crime rate with murder and homicide common in urban areas. The ghost towns of Central America are described as the new Wild West. In addition to vice, homicide, burglary and traffic squads, cyber psycho squads hunt down cybernetic criminals. During the collapse of the 90s, martial law and the suspension of the U.S. Constitution and takeover by the military saw an overall decrease in the amount of crimes that had been occurring before the takeover. Law was handled by military courts, and the death penalty was liberally used for instances of looting. The military justice code was used during the martial law period from 1996 to 99. The code was so so effective, it inspired the Uniform Civilian Justice Code, which replaced the previous criminal procedures in the United States. The Federal Weapons Statute of 99 made it illegal to carry submachine guns and other fully automatic weapons, but it is largely ignored. Criminals of minor offenses are often beaten up by police rather than arrested. No comment, Toasty. Let's move on. Yeah, I was just like, I was actually about to say no comment. Uh, The United States has one of the largest prison populations in the world. So at least, you know, we're staying true to that. I mean, that's the case, right? Don't we have the number one uh, in the world citizens per capita in prison? Uh, I think so. It sounds right. Handled by the Bureau of Prisons, simple, Uh, prisons are overcrowded and deadly. Officials have largely given up on rehabilitation and are mostly concerned with pinning up society's mad dogs, as they call it. Many prisons force prisoners into brain dance, suspended in cryotanks for two to three years on repeat interface loop programs. The simplest method of punishment is execution, and most states have a state executioner who is also empowered to hunt down escaped criminals from death row. Okay, there's a lot to take in there. Yeah. Yeah, so... um, Prisons suck. A bunch of them just throw their prisoners into suspended animation, essentially, um, so that they're not, I guess, a problem. Um, and the rest of them, they kill. And then there's a dude, if they manage to get away, um, there's an Anita Blake going after them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am not fully against the idea of brain dancing people who are in prison if it's, like, helpful and beneficial brain dances and, like, higher education or therapy sessions, or things that will actually benefit and rehabilitate people. 
like I would get that. I would understand that. But this doesn't seem like they are going that they are doing that at all. Interface yeah, I loops. So. I don't think that that's what that is. And then yes, as soon as you said state in executioner, I was like, mm, is it Edward? Is it Anita? Is it Olaf? Is it? I think it depends on the state. Mm, fair enough. In Missouri, it's Anita. Yes. And Edward is New Mexico. Arizona. New yeah, New Mexico. Now, let's move on to education. Now, the underfunded educational system and the lack of public schools in many states has resulted in rapid rise in gang membership. Almost 90% of street kids are involved with some form of youth gang, either simplistic or feral child families, a block gang, or as a junior affiliate to a larger booster gang. We talked about these kid gangs uh, when we talked about Danger Gal. Mm-hmm. Yep, this is the thing. 90% of youth. That's fucking crazy. But I mean, I think even though it's crazy, I think we see a perfect example of this in Cyberpunk Runners. Mm-hmm. David is a great example of this, what it is for a street kid and how they get involved in crime. Yep. So. You know, his mom had plans for him, but then plans changed and he joined a gang in order to, or at least a cohort. Yep. I mean, they're kind of a gang. I, I would, yeah. I would refer to them as a gang, real small one, but. Or they're edge runners, so, you know, it's kind of a whole gang in itself. That was a lot of information to go over and a lot of really cool stuff to learn about the United States and (laughs) the future in cyberpunk. Uh, Yeah, but actually, there's there's something I got to tell you, Jen. Um, There's more. Okay. There's more um, that we will talk about at the beginning of next month right. after our Patreon episode. So, yeah. So, look out for Noosa Part 2 uh, when we get to that. So, All right. Noosa Part 2 coming out in a few weeks where we get even more details on the country that V lives in and David lives in and Johnny and everybody. All right, so let's wrap it up here for the night, and yeah, so give us a follow on Twitter at Cyberpunk Lore, find us on Patreon.com slash Cyberpunk Lorecast, and if you'd like to hear more from me, you can hear it on the Two Girls, One Ship podcast, where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. Uh, And if you want more of me, you can check out the Witcher Lorecast, um, with that's gonna be uh, ramping up. It seems as we lead into season three of The Witcher, uh, for better or worse. Um, and also, uh, since you seem to like cyberpunk, check out the Cyberpunk Red Live Play podcast, Cyberpunked, Cyberpunk apostrophe D, that I do with the Fumbling for and Almighty Crit Gang. 
All right. And every episode, we shout out Miracle of Sound and thank him for allowing us to use his music as our intro, mid-break, and outro. Go listen to the full version called Neon Red, the instrumental remix. And while you're out there, stay safe in Red City. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora, and all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.